Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 35, The Comparison Trap. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. I hope you're having a great week. Today we've got a fun topic. We're talking about comparison, why we do it, how it affects us, and what we can do to keep it from sabotaging our self-worth, our peace, and our potential. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about for a while. And last Sunday, I had a sweet friend text me with a link to a BYU devotional Um, Back from 2019 by Professor J.B. Hawes, and it's called Wrestling with Comparisons. And I'd heard this talk a while back, and I remember loving it, but it had been a while. And so I was thankful that she thought to send it to me because it was so great to go back and listen to it. And it actually gave me a lot of clarity um, on something I'd been kind of stressed about this week, and it was exactly what I needed to hear. And so I kind of put together some thoughts that I've been gathering over the years that have really helped me to better understand and deal with this human tendency that we all have to compare ourselves to others. And I thought I'd share them with you this week on the podcast. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Okay, so the first thing we're going to explore is why do we compare ourselves? Where does this impulse to measure ourselves against other human beings even come from? Well, my thoughts automatically turned to what we know about Adam and Eve and the first humans on earth. We know that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, a change came over them, right? Not just physically. We know that their bodies became mortal and subject to disease and pain and aging and death, but they didn't just change physically. Their minds changed as well. And we see that they fell, right? But this actually wasn't a step away from God. It was a step toward him in that they became more like him. The scriptures say that when God found out that they had eaten the fruit, he said, now they are as the gods, knowing good from evil. And so we humans became more like God in the sense that now with our mortal bodies and minds, we could experience our agency in a whole new way under a whole new set of circumstances that were designed to lead us into Godhood, into becoming more like our heavenly parents. It was really an opportunity for us to learn and practice thinking, feeling, and acting more like them in preparation for our future eternal potential. Now we are told that there must be opposition in all things, right? And I believe that part of this opposition we are given to experience is what the scriptures refer to as the natural man or the carnal mind. And Ether 12.27 talks about it this way. The scripture says, And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. And sometimes we hear this scripture and we think weaknesses. Like, yeah, we all have weaknesses, like things we're not very good at or things we need to work on. But this scripture specifically says weakness, meaning mortality, that carnal natural man mind that's our weakness right it's this universal human condition that we all have in common and it makes us more vulnerable to things like judgment and shame and fear and comparison and pride and all of these things just kind of come along with mortality right Um, when we became subject to pain and disease and death all of a sudden 
we became much more vulnerable. We had to be able to watch out for ourselves and protect ourselves. We had to make sure that we avoided dangerous situations and that we had a tribe or a group, right, that we belonged to who could work together to protect each other. There was safety in that. And so we as humans have a very strong drive from those carnal human minds to survive and protect ourselves. Um, the, the carnal mind isn't a bad thing, right? Until it gets exploited and those drives and desires we have to protect ourselves and our loved ones um, get taken to the extreme. And so when you think of, let's say, judgment, we make so many judgments throughout the day, right? I make judgments about what I should wear based on the weather. I make judgments about activities my kids do based on what I believe is safe for them or in their best interest. I make judgments about who I trust. Um, I read reviews, right, to judge what kind of movies I watch, what I want to bring into my home, right? Judgment can be very helpful and protective, but it can also be taken too far and very quickly judgment can turn into what the scriptures call unrighteous judgment, right? And can take on elements of pride or insensitivity or even shaming ourselves and others. So that's just an example of how we can take something that's intended to serve us and even protect us and then use it against ourselves. And I think um, we have a little bit of help in this area. I think the adversary, Satan, whatever you call him, right, loves to capitalize on these human tendencies we inherited when we came into mortality. He uses them to sabotage us, to discourage us, to make us miserable, and to stall our progress. And this is exactly what's happening when we fall into the comparison trap, right? We humans all come with these core universal questions that we are constantly seeking answers for. Questions like, am I enough? Do I measure up? What's my purpose? Am I valuable? Am I loved? Am I important? Do I even matter? And we move throughout our days and our lives with these questions kind of running through our subconscious. And when our brain asks us a question, it's going to be on the lookout for an answer and for evidence to back that answer up, right? And the really interesting thing is that instead of answering those questions for ourselves, we tend to look outside of ourselves. We are constantly looking outside of ourselves for validation, attention, for love, approval, confidence. We outsource our need for love and acceptance to other people, to circumstances. And the tricky thing is that sometimes they come through. Sometimes someone will say or do just the right thing. And then we can feel wonderful, right? We're on cloud nine because someone else told us that we're beautiful or capable or amazing. So it must be true. And because it came from outside of us, we give ourselves permission to believe it. But then what happens when we don't get that validation? Because if you haven't noticed, other people aren't always that reliable or consistent in giving us just what we need or what we think we need, right? They don't always come through exactly when we need to, with what we needed to hear right when we need to hear it. Um, so why do we do this? Why do we give other people so much credibility and power in our lives? Why do we put our happiness and peace and self-esteem into other people's hands? It's just kind of our human nature, right? Most of us have been doing it since before we can remember. So comparison is just one of those natural tendencies that's just been around as long as we humans have been. And it's something that actually can serve us We are as we're growing up and figuring out who we want to be in the world. In her book, Enough As She Is, Rachel Simmons says, social comparison is a vital part of an adolescent's development. We build a sense of self as we make choices about which personal values we want to keep and which we will throw away. And we often do this by watching our peers. In healthy doses, social comparison helps girls manage their feelings, get inspired, and make decisions. 
I think that's so interesting. Comparison um, can be a normal, healthy part of human development. And I saw this with my youngest when he was preschool age and getting ready to go into kindergarten. He wanted nothing to do with learning his letters or numbers. I tried everything I could to get him to learn the letters of the alphabet and count to 20. <laughs> that was kind of what they were, they were gauged on, right, going into kindergarten. And um, he was totally capable, but not one bit motivated. And I was a little concerned about sending him to kindergarten with all the kids who could, you know, some of them could read. But after just a couple of weeks in school, he had mastered all of the basics. And it was so funny when I went to the parent conference with his teacher a couple months into the year, she just laughed and said she'd never seen a kid make so much progress so quickly. And I think that was kind of it. He saw, oh yeah, all these other kids my age know this stuff. It's kind of the thing to do. And then he was totally fine with all of it. So just kind of a funny little example, but it just shows how natural and even innocent that tendency is in us, even as children. But again, when it is taken to the extreme, it can lead us to all kinds of problems, including depression, anxiety, self-criticism, low self-esteem, and feelings of worthlessness and shame. So in a nutshell, the reason we compare ourselves to others is that we are just looking for a way to track our progress. We want concrete, measurable ways to know how we are doing at life. We are looking for answers to those core questions, and comparing ourselves is an easy way to find evidence and draw conclusions. So I think it's super helpful to know this, to be onto ourselves um, and to use this tendency to help us and not hinder ourselves. Now think about the areas of life that you compare yourself to others because I think it's different for all of us based on what we value and how we want to be seen in the world. A few years ago, I was really struggling with um, in a couple of areas where I was just feeling some deep shame and inadequacy. Um, and I could see that it was stemming from comparing parts of my life which I had determined weren't going very well, to other people who seemed to be thriving in these areas. And of course, it didn't feel very good. And I kind of noticed that my husband didn't really seem to struggle at all with these comparisons that I was making. Um, he was completely confident in these areas. And so I started thinking and wondering if he ever felt um, that same way that I was feeling, just kind of you know, competitive, jealous, threatened by someone else, not good enough. So I asked him um, what things he felt competitive about. What were the areas that he could easily fall into like jealousy or comparing himself? And he's, he said probably woodworking or building things. And I thought that was so funny. He's really good at these things. And it takes a lot of, he takes a lot of pride in creating something that's beautiful and functional and taking raw materials and making something amazing. Um, but I've never once felt like that was something I would ever compare him to somebody else in. I just think of it as like a cool hobby or talent that he has. I'm not really aware of whether he does it better than someone else or if someone else does it better than him. I really haven't ever thought of it that way. And I'm sure he'd say the same about the things I get competitive or jealous about. And so we all have different areas that we compare ourselves to other people to determine our worth or our likability or our capability. And I remember hearing once, I think it was in a TED talk, that none of us is really jealous of the Queen of England. We don't really even think about comparing ourselves to her. But why? She's rich, she lives in a castle, she's popular and famous and revered by millions, right? Why don't we get jealous or compare ourselves to her? Well, he said it's because we don't really have anything in common with her. I, for example, do not live in England. <laughs> I'm a couple generations younger than her. We have different religions and family situations and interests and responsibilities, right? I've just never felt competitive with the Queen of England. 
But the closer we are geographically, socially, financially, religiously, the more hobbies or interests or circumstances that we have in common, the more we tend to compare ourselves to each other. And so think about the people that you compare yourself to, and they're probably people you associate with. Is it other moms with kids your age? Is it women at church? Is it women you see going out and doing things that you wish that you could do? Sister Patricia Holland tells a funny story about um, getting kind of jealous of a mother at church who walks in with her six little girls and they're all in um, these matching dresses that the mother had sewn and just kind of the competitive feeling she felt with this mother. And I thought, how funny, I don't think I'd ever be threatened by that particular thing because I just don't sew. I've never really been interested in it. I never felt like I was expected to know how to do it. Um, I'm sure when she was a young mother, it was something a lot of women did, but not so much in my generation. So it doesn't bother me when someone else is good at it. I genuinely admire and appreciate those who can, but I absolutely know what it feels like to compare myself to someone performing a musical number or teaching a lesson at church, right? Things that I love to do and see as my own strengths or talents. I am much more prone to compare myself and notice when someone else does it better than I do. That's so interesting, right? Okay, so here's a question for you. Have you ever compared yourself to someone or even compared two other people to each other? Because we do that too, right? And decided that they were exactly the same. It doesn't happen because by its very nature, comparison is looking for differences. And so when you compare yourself to someone else, you are going to feel one of two things. You might feel superior, which is probably less likely, especially among women, which can lead to things like pride, arrogance, complacency, selfishness, and apathy, those feelings are probably not the best fuel for our actions, right? Not a lot of good is going to come from those things. But on the other hand, comparison can make you feel inferior, which is probably more likely. And that can lead to the the other feelings that I mentioned earlier, feelings like depression, anxiety, low self-worth, despair, hopelessness, envy, shame, just to name a few. Again, not the best fuel for our actions. These emotions can be actually debilitating and they can keep us from being who we want to be in the world. They can keep us from happiness and peace and they can keep us from living our purpose and fulfilling our unique roles and missions and understanding our true potential as children of heavenly parents. That's why this is such a powerful tool of the adversary, I think, because he knows he can use it to distract us, to discourage us and to stop us in our tracks. When we're feeling inferior, we retreat, we shrink back, and we end up being less effective, less influential because we are afraid that the light we're shining isn't quite bright enough or isn't as brilliant as someone else's. Another thing we do when we feel like we come up short in our comparisons is that we start to work even harder to get that outside validation, right? We rely on it even more. We look for more evidence outside of ourselves. We seek more acceptance and love from others. And we can become very needy. We call this approval addiction. We are constantly looking outside of ourselves for someone, anyone, or something that can make us feel like we're enough. But even that is never enough to satisfy this need inside of us, right? Other people are not that dependable. They're not that reliable. They can't know every little thing we need to hear right when we need it. Have you ever been on the flip side of that and had someone expect that of you? It's confusing and frustrating and honestly exhausting. I've been on both sides of this equation and I can tell you that it never works out. And studies have shown that comparing ourselves either way, upwards, measuring yourself against someone you feel is superior or downwards, comparing yourself to someone you see as inferior, both of them actually result in feelings of negativity and low self-worth. So another thing that feelings of superiority or inferiority do is that either one of them is going to cause disconnection. 
As humans, we are wired for connection and separating ourselves from each other, competing with each other, shaming ourselves because of our differences. It affects our connection, not just with others, but with ourselves. No wonder we suffer when we are plagued by the tendency to constantly compare and use each other as measuring sticks for our value, our beauty, our capability, our talents, our importance, our self-worth. Um, Sister Patricia Holland said, Obviously, the Lord has created us with different personalities as well as differing degrees of energy, interest, health, talent, and opportunity. So long as we are committed to righteousness and living a life of faithful devotion, we should celebrate these divine differences, knowing they are a gift from God. We must not feel so frightened, so threatened and insecure. We must not find exact replicas to ourselves in order to feel validated as women of worth. There are many things over which we can be divided, but one thing is needful for our unity, the empathy and compassion of the living Son of God. Okay, I love that. So we are going to talk about a few things that we can do right now, today, to stop this type of comparison that can be so toxic to ourselves, to our families, to society as a whole, because this truly is a vicious habit that affects all of us in one way or another. So the first thing that we can do is to find the lie in the comparison and to see the circumstances for what they really are. Basically, this is looking at the facts, right? Instead of the meaning we are giving to those facts. So first, what we do is we observe. We take in information. That's the first step, right? Whether it's something someone says to us or about us, we observe things we see in movies or on social media. We observe a circumstance that we're in, and then we interpret it. We give it meaning. We tell a story about it. And that story determines how we feel and what we do. And when you can step back and look at how you're interpreting that circumstance and the story you're telling yourself or others about it, you can decide whether or not that story is true and whether it's one you want to keep or not. So some examples, let's just look at a few areas where we might be using false ideas or beliefs to tell our stories. And most of these are going to be things that logically we would say, oh no, I don't believe that. Of course that's not right. But deep down, there probably is a part of you that does believe it, at least to some extent. So one belief that can cause us to compare and judge is that some people are better than others, right? That someone's house or status or financial situation or church calling or career or talents, anything else makes um, one person better than another, right? And that sounds so silly to say, right? We don't walk around saying, oh, have you been to her house? It's so pretty. She's so much better than everyone. Or wow, she obviously works out. She's so much more valuable than I am. No, of course not. Our brains kind of do this subconsciously, right? They want, they want to rank. They want to judge. They want to make sense and order of things. But it's not true, right? When I, when I do my workshops with teenagers, I give them a little story problem to do. Just I put it on the screen and have them do it in their heads. And I ask them to just shout out the first answer that comes to their minds. And everyone, without fail, even in the adults in the room, gets it wrong. Because the problem is worded in such a way that your brain just does some quick automatic math with the numbers but the answer that it comes to automatically isn't right. And I think this is a great example of how when our brain is running on autopilot, it isn't always coming up with the best, most true thoughts, right? Just because your brain believes something that, people are, that some people are better than others doesn't mean it's true, right? And you can question that. You can talk back to your brain and call it out and say, you know what, I understand why you think that, but it's just not true. This is the great thing, I think, about having a coach. A coach will help you um, identify those lies that your brain is telling you, most of which you aren't really even aware of. They can just seem like the facts or truth, right? 
And a coach can help you identify those lies and false beliefs that are dragging you down and keeping you from feeling more happiness and peace and whatever else it is you want to feel in your life. And it's really powerful when you can learn how to identify and combat those thoughts and beliefs that are keeping you playing small and feeling insecure and like you're not enough. So when you find yourself feeling inferior or disconnected, take a look at what you're thinking and determine if the story your brain is telling you about the situation and about yourself is even true. Okay, the next thing you can do to cut down on comparison is to really get to know yourself, to embrace and appreciate and even celebrate your own unique gifts and abilities and strengths. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, no one else is placed exactly as we are in our opportune human orbits. And I have another quote from Sister Holland. She said, I once read a wonderful analogy of the limitations our present perspective imposes on us. The message was that in the ongoing process of creation, our creation and the creation of all that surrounds us, our heavenly parents are preparing a lovely tapestry with exquisite colors and patterns and hues. They are doing so lovingly and carefully and masterfully. And each of us is playing a part, our part, in the creation of that magnificent eternal piece of art. But in doing so, we have to remember that it is very difficult for us to assess our own contributions accurately. We see the rich burgundy of a neighboring thread and think, that's the color I want to be. Then we admire yet another soft, restful blue or beige and think, no, those are better colors than mine. But in all of this, we don't see our work the way God sees it, nor do we realize that others are wishing they had our color or position or texture in the tapestry, even as we are longing for theirs. Perhaps most important of all to remember is that through most of the creative period, we are confined to the limited view of the underside of the tapestry, where things can seem particularly jumbled and muddled and unclear. If nothing really makes very much sense from that point of view, it is because we are still in process and unfinished. But our heavenly parents have the view from the top, and one day we will know what they know, that every part of the artistic whole is equal in importance and balance and beauty. They know our purpose and potential, and they have given us the perfect chance to make the perfect contribution in this divine design. Isn't that beautiful? You are the only you that will ever be in the world, ever. No one that came before you or that will come after you or that is living right now can compare to you, literally. There are so many variables involved in each of our individual lives, where we were born, the family we were born into, the environment we were raised in, our genetic makeup, our physical characteristics, the chances we have for education and other opportunities, the people we're influenced by, our individual talents, our interests, our life experiences. There is in reality no fair way to accurately compare ourselves to anyone with so many contributing factors. So why do we think we should gauge our value or our lovability or our capability or our potential based on how we measure up to others. It just doesn't make sense, right? You aren't supposed to be like everyone else. You are supposed to be you. So get to know you, take care of you, appreciate you, and ask Heavenly Father to help you see how you can best use your own strengths and talents and capacities to do what you came to this earth to do. Okay, you ready for number three? This one is all about humility. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, some suppose that humility is about beating ourselves up. Humility does not mean convincing ourselves that we are worthless, meaningless, or of little value, nor does it mean denying or withholding the talents God has given us. We don't discover humility by thinking less of ourselves. We discover humility by thinking less about ourselves. 
And we do have to be a little careful with this one, right? Because when we talk about thinking less about ourselves or putting others first, some of us can think this means that we shouldn't have needs or that other people's needs should come before our own mental, physical, or emotional health, right? And there's a fine line here. We know that we can experience amazing connection and joy when we willingly make a sacrifice for someone that we genuinely feel the desire to do so, right? But selflessness can also be taken to the extreme and result in things like codependency and manipulation and people-pleasing, and those are not such good things. So be mindful of that. But also know that selflessness can be a beautiful, empowering thing, right? This is what the adversary does. He takes the good and he tries to sabotage us with it. So don't fall into that trap. So with that little disclaimer, let's get back to humility and thinking less about ourselves. Sister Susan W. Tanner told this story um, in a conference talk years ago entitled The Sanctity of the Body. And she said, I remember well the insecurities I felt as a teenager with a bad case of acne. I tried to care for my skin properly. My parents helped me get medical attention. And for years, I even went without eating chocolate and all the greasy fast foods around which teens often socialize, but with no obvious healing consequences. It was difficult for me at that time to fully appreciate this body, which was giving me so much grief. But my good mother taught me a higher law. Over and over, she said to me, you must do everything you can to make your appearance pleasing. But the minute you walk out the door, forget yourself and start concentrating on others. And that's key, isn't it? So many times our insecurities and self-doubt can be minimized just by taking the focus off of ourselves and thinking about other people. This is one of the strategies they suggest for people with extreme shyness or social anxiety because you feel so much more anxious when you're focused on yourself and how other people are perceiving you. But when you can shift your attention to being genuinely curious and interested in another person, it actually helps to decrease those feelings of anxiety and insecurity. It's actually a cool little trick. And the same goes for other areas of life. When you can turn your focus outside of yourself, you can lighten the load of your own problems or worries and look for ways to lift and bless others. In um, that BYU talk I referenced before, Professor J.B. Hawes suggests another way we can decrease those feelings of envy or inadequacy that can come with that competitive nature of comparison. And he says that we should do as King Benjamin recommends and overcome the natural man or woman and become as a little child. And he tells this cute little story about playing catch with his two boys. Um, They were the ages of about six and three. And he says the older of the two boys, his name was Parley, would catch the football just about every time. But the younger one, Marshall, not so much. Um, He said that there was one thing that really made an impression on him as he watched his younger son's reaction to all of this. He says Marshall cheered and jumped up and down and squealed in delight every time Parley caught it. I can still hear his little voice yelling, good catch, Par, or that was great, Par. And then he would miss the next throw that came to him. But somehow that did not dampen his enthusiasm for Parley's success. Somehow he knew that his contest was not with Parley. He could have joy in Parley's success. So don't you just love that visual? I just think that this is the sweetest story and the innocence and joy of children who haven't yet been tainted by those natural man and woman tendencies, right? Kind of drives home the reason that the Savior said that whosoever shall humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I think there's so much we can learn by watching little children and their priorities and their values and their energy and just how they are in the world. Professor Haas goes on to say, doesn't it sound freeing and liberating to think less about ourselves, to be thinking, to not be thinking about ourselves at all, and to do that effortlessly, as naturally as breathing, because it's just who we are. 
as if the armor of God that we put on is coated in Teflon, so that none of this, not flattery, not worry about where we measure up, and not insecurities fueled by lack of retweets can even possibly stick to us. And that's really what it comes down to, right? Is that freedom that we feel when we aren't constantly measuring ourselves against others or worrying about how other people perceive us. So those are just a few things we can do to counteract that natural tendency we have as humans to compare ourselves and prevent some of those negative consequences that can accompany it. Um, And one more thing I think to keep in mind that is just probably most important of all is um, that scripture from Ether that when we bring our weakness to Christ, he can make us strong. And I have seen that promise fulfilled in my own life in so many ways. One of my very favorite stories from the New Testament, um, from all of scripture actually, is when the Savior turned the water into wine. Because it's such a beautiful analogy of what he can do with us. We have our own way of seeing the world and being in the world and seeing ourselves, right? But he has a completely different way of seeing and being that he wants to show us and teach us. And he's the one that can help us take all of these tools and concepts we talk about and make them a reality in our lives. He can help us find the strength and desire to apply them and um, achieve true change in our minds and in our hearts. So I want to leave you with just one last quote from another BYU devotional that I love. It's from Merrill J. Christensen, and he said, I do not have the ability to impress upon your minds and hearts as powerfully and indelibly as I desire the glorious reality that each of you individually is of infinite worth to God, your Heavenly Father. Your value to Him is independent of your body mass index, your accomplishments in arts, academics, or athletics, your possessions, popularity, or marital status, your current calling in the church, or any other thing that can be a source of comparison and competition. His love for you is infinite, quantitatively and qualitatively, and intimate, intensely personal and specific. He knows your name, your successes and setbacks, your triumphs and defeats, your fears, your doubts, your hopes, your desires, your motivations, your thoughts, your words, and your actions. He feels what you feel. He shares your joys and sorrows, and he desires your happiness now and forever. May you cease unhealthy comparison to others and delight in your individuality and uniqueness. And this quote really sums up all that I hope to convey in this little podcast episode. Just to believe in yourself. Believe that God is cheering for you and helping you. And believe that you have a unique purpose and mission to fulfill that is different from, but just as important as anyone else's. We are all valued, we are all needed, and we are all loved in God's economy. He has a much higher way of seeing all of us than than I think we see ourselves. So... I will leave you with those thoughts for the week. If you have any questions or would like to find out about how you can learn to better apply these concepts to your own life, come find me on Instagram at Annette Jones Coaching, and I'd love to help you out. All right, everyone, have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye now.